Hi, this is Daphne, and welcome to episode four of the Creativity Habit Podcast, conversations about art, creativity, and courage with artists, creatives, and makers. My guest today is a woman who embodies kindness, wisdom, and insight. She is the owner of Owl, an artisan bake shop specializing in naturally leavened breads and European-inspired pastries. Her craft is her product, and her product is amazing. She is Susanna Gephardt, and you can find her at owlbakery.com or on Instagram at oldworldlevin. That's L-E-V-A-I-N. In this interview, we talk about the grace of hard work, the power of daily practice, failure, abundance, and the vulnerability of sharing. May you enjoy this conversation and may it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Welcome, Susanna, to the Creativity Habit Podcast. It is wonderful to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really touched and honored. Well, it is a pleasure for me. And the way that I begin is with your creativity story, which is really going back to your childhood and looking at how creativity showed up for you as a little girl. That's something that I haven't thought about in a long time. I was an only child, and so I spent a lot of time playing by myself. Um, a lot There was a lot of the unstructured time that I had playing outside in our gardens, in the neighborhood. And I also did a lot of craft when I was little. That was one of... Um, my favorite activities was just making things and sewing little stuffed animals and making things out of natural elements that I found in my yard and creating spaces in the yard and, and in my private space in our home. That's interesting. How do you see those different elements, like the making little crafts, crafty things and creating spaces and pulling things from nature, how do you see that showing up? Like, Talk a little bit now about where you're at with your creativity, what you do, and how that shows up in your creativity now. Well, there are, there are many similarities. I think that um, as a child, you know, there was just a lot of play and experimentation, and, and I definitely bring that into my work. And I also take a lot of inspiration from nature and um, botanical elements and really focusing on the elemental nature of those associations, I guess. <laughs> so let's so let people know you are a baker, you have your own bakery. Describe describe what your work is. So I would say that my specialization in, in baking is naturally leavened breads and laminated doughs. Laminated doughs are um, croissants and puff pastry and, and their applications within a bakery for products. I have a craft and that craft is baking with a limited number of materials. It's essentially flour, water, salt, sugar, butter, some leavening agents. And, you know, the craft for me in creating breads and laminated doughs has two major elements that are necessary. One is precision, precision in um, scaling my ingredients and really connecting with them and understanding them 
using them in the right ways and precision and efficiency and movement and how I use my body to create what I'm making. And then the other aspect is intuition, which comes from, you know, a vast experience of working for a long time with these materials and knowing them on a, on a deeper level and just following my gut as I'm working with them. And as far as the intuition, this is something that, as you say, you've developed over time. So at this point, would you say that you've developed a deep trust of your own ability to create things literally from scratch, but the, the process, a trust in the process and a trust in your place in the process? Absolutely. I think that um, baking involves a lot of faith and you can also call that trust. You know, it's an alchemical process. So you're taking all of these disparate ingredients and putting them together and then they become something entirely of their own. It's very magical and there's a lot that you don't know really what's going on under the surface until you actually see the final product come out of the oven. And so, you know, in that process where you don't know exactly how the product will turn out, there is a lot of faith, a lot of listening, and, you know, importantly, just being observant of what is going on. And then you gather these data points that over time that end up informing your decisions about how to proceed during the process of, of creating something. So what I see then is I see this arc of there's this time of attention and observation and listening. And then as you say, gathering data points. So now you're getting the information and you're integrating it. And then there's the precision of fine tuning everything. And, Mm -hmm. and then there's the end product. And throughout it all, of course, is the faith and the mystery because you don't, totally know what's happening exactly and failure is is the most important piece of that (laughs) so um you know the experience comes with you know experimenting and trying new things following your intuition and then being able to really examine the final product and think about it analytically and also respond to it from your heart and then learning from what you can put together from what happened during the process and how your product ended up and then using all of that to inform the next time that you create something because every time is different. Yeah. It's an amazing thing about, well, any type of art, but baking really does have that. There's this big piece of it that you cannot control. I want to go a little more actually into failure one of the things that you talked about is in an article with Food Life, you said that doing the work that you're doing is definitely a path of following your passion and doing a lot of hard work to bring it together. So it's not without its trials, but that makes it much more rewarding. So let's talk a little more about the trials, which could also be sometimes failures. Yeah, um, in baking, and this is perhaps why I love it so much, you know, because there is that magical or mystical element, you have to make a lot of decisions in in the process of creating something. There's so many 
small decisions that get made. <laughs> Some are subconscious and others are very conscious. Observing how those decisions affect the product is what allows you to grow in your craft. So when I don't get the open structure of a crumb that I'm really looking for, that could be a, a trial. It could also be a failure, but really it's a learning experience. And since I'm making the same thing every single day, every every day is an opportunity to do it over again. And I and I often refer to baking as the ultimate Sisyphean <laughs> <laughs> um, because you toil in in many ways. You know, it's very physically demanding. Um, mentally demanding, it's emotionally demanding, and you you create something, and and one day you might have the most consummate product. It's a victory, and then the next day um, you get a real lesson in humility. Mm. <laughs> and over time, those lessons change and they morph, and that's one of the most rewarding parts is to see how those those lessons and the, the trials change for you and how they mark growth, you know, as a creator and as a, a maker, as an artisan. How you, you mentioned that it's emotionally demanding. How is it emotionally demanding? I think it goes back to what you were saying about how there's so many things outside of your control and in the creative process in making a, a specific product and, and so for me, very practically, that means working with ingredients that change. The butter changes based on the makeup of the fat content, which is based on what the cows eat, <laughs> the cows that create the butter. And so one batch of butter will act entirely different from another. And same with flowers and um, with other ingredients even the strength of the spices that you're using or the time of year that you're collecting fruits or herbs from the garden, all of these elements change. And as you're going through the process of, of creating a specific product, there are many elements of surprises. And the only thing that you can really control is, is yourself in that and how you're responding to those surprises and adapting to them. And as a creative person, you know, so much of my self-expression is through my product. It's really a piece of me. I put so much of myself into it. And so when you start to lose control or something comes up and you don't know quite how to handle it, I find that I really have to come back to centering myself and drawing on my experience, having faith in my process and being okay with, with learning and those lessons and and understanding that it's not a reflection of my ability as a baker, but that I'm in that process becoming a better baker. That's so big right there. It's not about you. It's, it's this process of becoming a better baker. That's all it is. It's, so what I heard from that was a lot of presence and a lot of flexibility, a lot of space. Mm -hmm. And all of that to just keep improving your craft. Now, I really want to go into at some point the bold, the courageous move of opening a bakery and of really getting your stuff out there and going from thinking about it to actually doing it. But before we do, there's something that you shared on Instagram 
that I wanted to go into because there were a lot of very interesting and beautiful pieces about it. So I'm going to read it. It was a post that you wrote right around election time. And then Mm -hmm. we're going to dive into it a little bit. You wrote, as I probe the sources in myself, I find the deep sorrow of the young girl who discovers slowly that the love she receives is based on her behaving and looking exactly as she has been conditioned. I find the woman who bears the guilt associated with recognizing and using her privileges And I witness the untethered freedom that comes from when we take responsibility for ourselves, our actions, our identity, and the choices that are wholly ours to make. Choosing the vocation of baking has been a path of healing for me. In many ways, it has and continues to save me from my most pernicious demons. It has given me a sense of my body as a vector of energy rather than an object of scrutiny. It has allowed me to focus on that beyond myself, to find the grace of hard work, and the daily victories of dedication and commitment that it has empowered me to advocate for a vision that has meaning. So, so beautiful, so beautiful. And there are so many things in this paragraph that I want to touch on. The first one is, I just want to talk about the young girl who discovered slowly over time that the love you received was based on behaving and looking exactly as you had been conditioned. And the reason I want to touch on this is because the art of creating requires that we go beyond that conditioning. And, and that can be very scary. It can be painful. It can be any number of things. So I wanted to begin with your discovering this and what you did with that knowledge. It took me a long time to to unpack that discovery. You know, in my own process of growth as a uh, person and in discovering who I was, um, you're right, it was a very painful process and actually involved a lot of self-destructive behavior. But there's an analogy that I come back to time and again that helps me understand that, and that's one of compost. I like to think about how compost works. It's a pile of stuff that's a random collection of things. You know, in nature, it's biodegradable material. For me, making the analogy to life, it's experience. And all of that, it it goes into a pot, into a pile, and completely disintegrates. And, and you never quite know what's going to crop out of it. It it takes a long time for it to become a consistent matrix, but from it it produces incredible an incredible source of fertility and I wouldn't say that my discovery of my conditioning happened like a light bulb went off, but I think that, you know, as I was growing up as a teenager and into my 20s and and even now, um I have all of these life experiences that have been put into this internal compost pile and they fall below the surface. They disintegrate in a way and then over time they create this bed, this source of inspiration, this this well in which I can dip into and often those facets of my discovery kind of pop up like a a tomato seed that sprouts in the compost pile and it comes out of nowhere. (laughs) And then you have an opportunity to examine it and to understand it in a new context. 
while that's not a direct answer to your question, that's kind of how I, I perceive it. I actually, I love that because then you're saying that so I worked on a farm for a couple of years and they called me the compost queen because that was my favorite part of the farming was working with the compost. And I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It is. It's this whole process of taking what is perceived as garbage or what you don't want and you put it into this pile and you add all these other things to it, like the pieces of life and all these other things, and then turn it and turn it, and it becomes gold. It's gold for the for the soil. It's so what a beautiful way of of framing that. Well, you you articulated that beautifully, and and I also use that to understand, you know, when I'm going through a hard time or I have moments of insecurity or challenging experiences that challenge who I think I am, I can perceive them with that analogy that they will, in the end, after a period of dormancy perhaps, end up informing what I do later, but from a place of uh, fertility rather than of a destructive place or you know, the putrefaction yes. <laughs> um, before you can get there. Yes. And so that actually brings me to the next piece of what you wrote about that I want to touch on, which is this idea of baking as a path of healing. And you said that it, it saves you from your most pernicious demons. So I want to know, how do you see baking as this path of healing? How is it healing for you? It's a practice. I think like any other practice, you know, some people have yoga practices, they have dance practices, uh, all of those, any craft is a practice. You have to show up and give yourself entirely to a process and go through the motions of that in the repetitive patterns. I use baking as a, a sort of meditation. And that also touches on another thing that I said that it it allows me to focus on that outside of myself. So it gets me outside of myself and in my current identity in the current moment. And I'm, I'm fully present with this ultimate teacher. So the, the healing happens by being able to basically leave the, the mind of that hold, can hold you back or there may be fear or doubts or questioning and just completely enter into the flow of the process of baking. Correct. Yeah. So that's a lot you you mentioned also in the same same paragraph about the grace of hard work and the daily victories of dedication commitment. I see those as a perfect pairing and I wanted to go into that because one of the aspects of creativity that we don't tend to talk a lot about is this idea of hard work and the commitment to it. A lot of times we just are waiting for that burst of inspiration for the muse. So let's dive into a little more of this idea and that you do work very, very hard of the grace of hard work. You know, I, I think that often, you know, we wait for a burst of inspiration or we're seeking a piece de résistance or some giant accomplishment. It's easy to look to those things for affirmation and to know ourselves as a creative person or 
a successful person, you know, overlooked, I think, is the, the power of the daily practice. And as you said, the commitment to doing something over and over and over again, and the ordeal that that involves. It's messy, it's hard, it takes an incredible well of stamina. Only through that process are we really able to understand that our success and our expression comes in tiny moments and tiny details that happen on a daily basis. It's not about getting an article and, and bon appetit. It's, it's about what happens when you put on your apron and you scale your flower. It happens when you've laminated by hand hundreds of thousands of croissants and finally get the opportunity, you know, on a daily basis to make something that you can be proud of. One of the things that I love too about baking is that I'm never creating something that's going to stick around. I'm, I'm not creating a piece of sculpture that will end up in a museum and exist. It's something that I, I create and it's consumed and Hopefully it endows someone with um, a moment of pleasure or something that evokes a memory for them to um, start over again and make it all over again. So does that respond to your It does. Questions? And I think one of the things that really stood out for me was the idea of it's not so much about the article showing up in Bon Appetit as it is this weighing the flower and and the all the the little things that happen like that's where that's where the beauty is we we think the beauty is in the sparkle it's in the article showing up and i know i do <laughs> that's a hard one to to not believe in but to really understand that the art is in the details such a beautiful point that you made I think that grace is is coming down to that which you know. It's it's about not necessarily always keeping your center, but always being able to come back to your center, it, whatever that center is. Um, it's our practice. If you know the way the the dough feels under my hands, it's way the butter responds as it's being spread thinner and thinner and. Those are the moments of grace when you are able to stretch beyond your center of balance and find your edge and then return back to that which you know again. Mm. There's a, I think it's T.S. Eliot, I think, has a poem very much like that about going off only to come back home and be home again and I wish I don't have it in front of me so I'm butchering it but um I you've mentioned this a couple times now so I will go there for the this idea of centering yourself and in the way that you just spoke of it you talked about going out to your edge and then coming back how do you keep centering yourself in this very fluid world of baking and not just the actual baking but also your own world of the doubts and the putting yourself out there and all of that? That's been an area of intense exploration and trial and error. <laughs> I think that being able to witness my feelings as they come up or being able to recognize 
when something goes in a direction that I'm not expecting, which is, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, earlier, um, one of the major challenges of every day, every time I'm, I'm involved in my craft, the landscape is the same, but my experience of it is different. And I think that centering myself is about first and foremost, being fully present and engaged with what's in front of me. And then additionally, kind of observing how I'm responding to it, how I'm reacting, even the feelings that I get of insecurity or uncertainty and moving through them and using observation to do that and, and an openness to learning um, to do that and, and then to be ready to do it again the next day. Yes, perfect. The skills that you need to center yourself are exactly the same skills that you need to make beautiful pastries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, the the last piece of that Instagram post was about the vision. And you said that baking has empowered you to advocate for a vision that has meaning. What is the vision? Like what, when you say that has meaning, talk about that. You know, as a business owner, that, that means a lot of things. Very specific specifically related to baking. The meaning comes for me in the process and the practice, but in the final end result, the meaning is being able to create something that is more than just a product. It's something that evokes an emotional response in other people. It's about making something that can turn what could be a very ordinary moment into something extraordinary to do so in a way that is really not about me anymore. It's, it's about that person's experience with my product, making them feel good or marking a celebration or creating a moment of pause where they have to stop their conversation and just experience the food in their mouth (laughs) or the way the croissant shatters on the outside or a memory that it brings back from their childhood and provides a moment of reflection. And so on a very tangible level, that's what I'm looking for. And, and that's what I find meaning in the product that I'm creating. Okay. I want to see if you can paint me a little bit of a picture here where you're standing there and you have in front of you the flour and the butter and the sugar and the all the different ingredients and the salt and you're standing there before these ingredients and somehow and this is the part of the painting of the picture you go from here are these basic ingredients to this experience where somebody has to stop speaking because it tastes so good that they just have to be with that baked good. Where in that process does that, like, how is that transformation taking place where it's just going from the most elemental ingredients to this shift that is, as you say, no longer about you, but is, ha- has become this experience? That's a really good question. <laughs> Um, you know, going back to that idea of, of magic, there, there's something so magical specifically about baking. And I think it can probably be applied to any 
practice of, of creativity. But when I start with my ingredients, I combine them in the way that I always do. <laughs> and I follow a ritual that I always do. It's, it's a dance. Um, it's very choreographed. And then at a certain point, it starts to speak back to me to tell me what it needs. You know, I, I say listening a lot and observation, you know, it's the crux of it for me. So at a certain point, I, I start doing what the product needs. It starts evolving on its own. I respond to that evolution. And then I've created the product and then it has to go into the oven. <laughs> <laughs> And at that point, there's a very delineated separation from the creator and the material and, and the product. And I close the oven doors, and it's kind of like cutting the umbilical cord in a way. You have no more control over what's going to happen, and you just have to wait to see. And from that point onward, well, really from midway through the process, it takes on a life of its own. You know, once it, it comes out of the oven, served to someone, it becomes a gift that I've let go of. It stands on its own. And then I turn my focus back to the next thing. Lucky for me, I make some of the same things every day. And, and granted, they change with the seasons based on the flavor profiles that we're playing with and what we're pulling in from the gardens and the orchards and in the spice cabinet, like all of that changes. And so that's a whole arena of creativity in and of itself. But I'm just trying to think of the very basic product. I create it every day. And then I have this kind of physical separation process that happens. And then it's ready to go out to the world. And so I, I suppose that that's the best description I can provide of, it's of what great. happens. It's a great description. So there's a few pieces there. One is this idea that you do the same thing every day, same process. And then mm -hmm. at some point in the process by this, like continuing with the same thing, the same practice, the same pieces that at some point something shifts in the process. And then it, the, what you're making starts to speak to you, but in order to get there, you need to do a, B, C, D every single day, same way. And then mm -hmm. there's that moment where mm -hmm. it shifts and it becomes something else where it's you engaging with it in a whole different way. And I love that. Like that's such a beautiful description of the creative process. And there was something else that you said, hold on. I just, I lost it. Oh, the other piece that you said that I think is really important is this idea that, okay, you put it in the oven and it's like cutting the umbilical cord because I think for me anyway, that's a piece of, of the process that can be, that can stop us from sharing our work, which is not wanting to cut that umbilical cord. And I know, like I cook dinner for my family just about every night and I want to hear, what do you think? How do you like it? Is it good? It's not. And so it's not entirely cutting the umbilical cord because it's, it's needing the feedback. And I'm not judging that in a negative way, but just noticing that there is something about creating that requires to really have the, to be able to put it out in the world that requires the cutting of the umbilical cord and saying, okay, now it's yours. It's not right. mine anymore. Yeah. It's an incredibly vulnerable moment because it is so much about you and it's an expression of you and 
and you can't control how other people respond to it. And I definitely getting feedback is one of the most important parts of what I do in, in trying to make a better product. Um, but there's also cutting off is also a really important part of being able to do better the next time. Because for me, you know, one of the, the real sources of inspiration and the thing that I get most excited about is actually analyzing and critiquing my work. And I do it on a daily basis. And I break it apart. I think about, you know, all the things that happened in the process that created this product and how can it be better? How how can it be more moist? How can it be more airy? How can it be more more of, of what I want? How can it be something that goes beyond just, you know, a baked good to, to this thing that we were talking about before, something that's consummate, that evokes emotions. And so that critical process, that analytical process is something that I get a lot out of and I really enjoy. Um, and I can't be so attached to my product in order to do that because if I was, I would take everything personally and, and I can't do that. It's really just about, you know, becoming better and focusing on, on the practice and not about what it is about me or needing to get affirmation. Yeah, which comes back to where you were before around centering yourself, that a lot of that is about not taking it personally and and being able to step out of yourself in order to be grounded, stay grounded in the midst of everything. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, yeah, go on. Oh, the only the other thing that I was thinking about that is that I think sometimes creativity in and of itself is something that we can get it attached to and feel is a scarce resource and we want to protect our industry in the food industry like you know wanting to protect processes or protect flavor combinations or some kind of method to to create something and and you know that's a way of holding on to creativity and and claiming it but it's only until we let go of that and be okay with um, it being out in the world that you come to understand that creativity is something that's not isolated to a certain product or creation. It's it's something that is a well that informs everything that you do and not just your product um, and that there's always more creativity to have. And, and that's really freeing to think about that. Um, and I think that's part of kind of the umbilical cord analogy too is like, if you create something that you're really proud of, letting that go so that you can create space to try other things and, and to allow creativity to to come up in ways that you couldn't imagine. It's not something to protect, but it's something to really share. It's also a great way of looking at the fear of sharing your work because you can transform that from, I want to hold it, I want to keep it just to myself because I'm afraid of how it will be perceived to if I can just gather up enough courage to share it, it will make space for new creations to come that by holding it in, we actually stop that. We can potentially stop that flow, but letting it go, regardless of what people think gives us the freedom to create more and to create differently and to evolve in our creativity. Exactly. 
Nice. I think we'll finish in this area, which is just touching on this, which is the piece of going from I'm baking bread for somebody or I'm baking a, a baked good for someone, like somebody's employing me or I'm doing it for myself, to now I'm going to open my own bakery. That's massive. And <laughs> if you can speak a little bit to that jump from almost like being a, a having your mom, your dad, almost being a little girl to going out into the world and, and being yourself. Talk about just what that was like for you. Well, I think of a few things. I would say, first and foremost, the the bakery happened in, in kind of an unusual way. It wasn't it wasn't that I just decided to open the bakery. It just kind of happened to me. <laughs> but I can remember, you know, I was working for Jennifer Thomas at the Montford Walk-In Bakery when she had it, which is a little neighborhood bake shop. She had uh, converted her sunroom into a kitchen and had a beautiful wood-fired oven where we baked breads. And I was just helping her. It was mostly you know, a solo operation for her, but she needed a little, an extra hand. And so I was working for and with her. And that time in my life, I really didn't, I didn't have a vision for where I was going. I was searching a lot. I have, you know, a lot of interests. And so I was kind of dabbling in in many different things. Um, But at a certain point, baking and the, the process and the practice became a real source of positive energetic feedback for me. I recognized that and I just wanted to do it more because it was a real place of agency in my own life and and I was learning and growing um, but also felt like I, I was really able to find that flow that you were talking about. And so I was at a point where I just, I didn't really have an opportunity to do more with her. And so I was, there was this other moment that happened right before the bakery happened. And I was just walking down the street in downtown Asheville. And, and then I got this kind of flash vision of a pastry case and a little bakery. And, and that was something that was completely shocking and came out of the blue. And I have no idea where it came from. (laughs) But at that moment, I knew that that was kind of my fate in a way. I didn't want to accept it. I had been fighting it for a while. I feel like, you know, baking was something I had baking jobs off and on uh, for 10 years. And I always felt like it was something that was kind of chasing me. And I was always trying to get away from it. And then at that moment, I realized that I could no longer deny my passion for it and run away from it. And, and it was a surrender. It was a very subtle yet powerful moment of surrender and of recognizing really what was to come. And so as soon as that happened and I acknowledged how much I loved baking, um, because it was not the path that was set out for me or that I thought I would pursue. I, I really thought that I would continue my education and and probably get a PhD. But once that happened, then everything else started to fall into place to make the bakery happen. Jim 
within six weeks of that time, Jen had to get out of the bakery for her own personal reasons and offered me the space. And it was obvious that that was my path and I, I took it. And so in a way, a bakery kind of fell in my lap and, and then it was, you know, a matter of it evolving into a, a storefront. 